You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine, and Draft Week marches on. The national pundits are punditing. The local pundits are punditing. I guess that means us, James. We're also punditing this week. But we're going to start by talking about what Dave Lapham had to say on his annual pre-draft show with Dan Horde on the Bengals Booth podcast. Appointment listening, really, because Dave Lapham, for many, many years under Marvin Lewis, seemed to know exactly what the Bengals draft day plans were. That hasn't seemed to be the case as much lately, but still very interesting to get Lapp's thoughts heading into the draft. And we'll have him on this show later this week. And we're looking forward to chatting with him as well. But James, he clearly has a preference. His offensive lineman bias was showing he wants the Bengals to draft Penny Sewell. But as they talked about it and they went through the second round, the third round, the depth of the draft, all the conversations that we've had over the months, Lap was kind of going back and forth a little bit by the end. And he said, all right, switch me to chase. You know, he, he doesn't seem sure himself. No, not at all. And it shows how difficult it is right now because over the past decade, if the Bengals would have had the fifth pick, well, there's only four people that can go ahead uh, of the fifth pick. Quick math there, Jake. Uh, so you know what that means? That lap would have known who it was going to be. But to me, it's, it's not necessarily that he doesn't have the connections or whatever it may be. It's that it's this difficult. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Bengals are still at least somewhat split, somewhat uh, debating this, at least to a degree, because it's such a tough decision. And there is risk in saying, yeah, there's this top offensive lineman on the board and offensive line has been an issue. But due to the depth of this class and how we think the draft is going to plan out, we're going to take this receiver that we have graded the same, maybe a little better. I would assume that would be the case if they would take Chase over Penny Sewell. And and yet, at the same time, it makes more sense, at least in my eyes and in a lot of people's eyes. So it's, it's a tough debate, and I, I think that's why you heard him go back and forth and I can't wait to talk to him on Wednesday night for Thursday morning, uh, our last pre-draft show, because it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to talk to lap. And I'm sure we'll have even more info uh, between now and then. I've never had the chance to talk to Dave Lapham before. So I'm also excited for that. Worth noting that Zach Taylor, and we're going to talk about his press conference in a little bit did say that, you know, we're going to use all of our time up until we're on the clock on Thursday to go through all the scenarios, finalize our board. Because like you said, James, it is very complicated when you start projecting the second round. And while the chase scenario could lead to a guy, and these are the names that Dave Lapham listed, courtesy of John Sharon's tweet, who documented it on the podcast, documented his words from the podcast. He says that Walker Little, Liam Eichenberg, Dylan Raddins, Aaron Banks, and Landon Dickerson are on the list. And you might be surprised to hear Aaron Banks name there. I think we've talked about the rest. We haven't talked a whole lot about Walker Little, James. And this is a guy who's missed time in college, obviously had injury issues, but had everything you could ever want on paper when he arrived at Stanford, looked like the next great offensive tackle to come into college and then into the NFL. 
And it hasn't really worked out that way. And nobody really knows who he is at this point. So if he's there in the second round and the Bengals feel good about his medicals and they feel good about his references and they feel good about the guys he's been training with, that is a really intriguing name that perhaps we haven't given enough attention to because of those injuries and because of the risk involved. You're right. And that's, that's the downside when you're injured and then you opt out and you don't play in 2020. So imagine if Penny Sewell, most of that 2019 tape didn't exist because he was battling an injury and then he didn't play in 2020 because, well, the pandemic, right? It, It would be really tough to, to take him there. And I'm not saying Little's that type of player, but you're right. He coming out, he was a well sought after uh, offensive lineman coming out of high school, obviously uh, played at Stanford, has the measurables, ha- has the athleticism you look. It's just you're going all the way back to 2018 to see any substance on film. That's that's tough to do. But that's a guy who could be in one of the reasons why you look at this offensive line class and you're like, man, we can find some gems. We can find some guys that are going to be able to work in our system. And maybe that is a Walker Little. And maybe it isn't at 38. Maybe it's at 69. Who knows, right? I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Bengals had a, a high ground uh, second round grade on a guy like Little, or maybe you know back of the end first round grade. But because of medicals or whatnot, they just bump him down a bit, and he somehow makes it to 69 because other teams just are lower on him because he is. Uh, someone that, again, they have to go all the way back to 2018 to watch. But you're right. He is a guy that I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if uh, if the Bengals are interested, giving the measurables, giving the, the potential that someone like he could have if he's able to, to get things right and right the ship in the NFL. I think the other surprising name here that we should talk about a little bit is Aaron Banks. This is going to be earlier if, if they stick at their pick in the second round. And I think that a lot of people are expecting them to trade back. I, I think that you and I are half expecting them to trade back in the second round. But Aaron okay. Banks is a guy from Notre Dame, played guard, mostly left guard. So if the Bengals were looking at Banks, as Lapham suggests, he would be transitioning to another position. He's going to be 24 years old in his rookie year. He's going to turn 24 in September. So an older prospect. But Notre Dame tends to turn out guys that are generally pretty well polished. He does have some work to do. Hand placement in particular is something that Dame Brugler notes, but he did grade really well with PFF, generally speaking. And for the most part, kind of looks like he has a third round profile to me, just given the depth Mm -hmm. at offensive line this year, especially, but played 25 games in the last two years. James started all of those games has been a reliable player for Notre Dame. First team all American in 2020. So a guy that perhaps we shouldn't be shocked to hear in the conversation on day two, but this one would surprise me, especially if they stayed at 38. Yeah, I I would be shocked at 38. Not, not if they pick Aaron Banks, because uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot there to like, to me, the bank scenario is one, either a trade down, which is the most obvious Two, it's the, we've taken chase or Sewell, but in round two, we go with edge rusher. Because if you go with edge in round two, or, and that's probably the the non-offensive lineman pick when you look at best player available, that could probably happen, the most likely at least. I guess you could throw a receiver in there, but I just don't think it's that likely. Then Banks at 69, a moving guard that you feel like is, uh, you know, has the age and development and, and, and isn't raw, is a guy that's ready to go, can be a plug-and-play type guy, would make a lot of sense at 69. 
So I, I think that those are kind of the scenarios where he gets into the fold, gets into the mix there. So let's summarize uh, what Lap had to say, right? I, I don't think he really knows which direction the Bengals are going. I think he has a preference for Penny Sewell. I think he talked himself into Jamar Chase a little bit. There wasn't a whole <laughs> lot of conversation on Kyle Pitts, although some of the national analysts out there, the Albert Breers, Peter Kings, Todd McShays of the world, seem to think that maybe the Bengals are leaning towards Sewell or maybe they're leaning towards Chase or maybe there's an equal chance they're going to take either of those guys or Kyle Pitts. They all seem to have different sources. They're all hearing different things. It's something that we will talk about on today's show, James, after we talk about what Zach Taylor had to say during his press conference because when the head coach speaks, we have to talk about what it is that the head coach has to say just a couple days ahead of the NFL draft. And we'll get into what Zach Taylor had in his presser coming up next. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week has tons of sports action on the go. You already know NFL draft Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Plus the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Make sure you get all the latest news, odds and info for all your sporting needs including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action at betonline.ag. You got to get off the sidelines. You got to get in on the action and go there now, betonline.ag. And when you're there, make sure you use promo code Locked On, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It is that simple. Promo code Locked On at betonline.ag, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor talked today, the final time he's going to speak to the media before the 2021 NFL draft begins. And Jake, naturally, one, he's not going to tell us what they're going to do with the fifth pick. He's not going to reveal their draft board. But much like we did with Duke Tobin last week, you try to decipher and read between the lines and figure out exactly what Zach means. And obviously, we have some takeaways here. The first thing that stood out to me is one of the the last things he answered. And we've we've kind of made this point a lot because to me, there are a lot of receivers in this draft, but there aren't a lot of receivers in this draft that the Bengals, that fit what the Bengals necessarily need as a starter, right? That limits things uh, a decent amount when you're talking about a, a team that has Tyler Boyd in the slot specifically because they don't need a slot receiver. And that's kind of what Zach said toward the end. He said, uh, I do think that there are maybe more slot or inside receivers in this draft than maybe other years. And then he went on to say, then you assess how does this fit your team? What are your needs at the position and how do these guys factor in? Every receiver is not for you. We may love a guy that the Packers don't like and the Packers may love a guy that we don't like just because of the structure of our offense, the structure of our receiver room, our quarterback's play style. There are a lot of different factors where teams may value guys differently and we certainly evaluate the receivers as how they fit us. And I get a lot of people still that say it's a deep receiver draft. You can find receivers later. Heck, you got Mike Greenberg and some of these national analysts saying receiver later, later, later. How many receivers? I mean, I don't think there are a ton of receivers that fit what the Bengals are looking for that can, again, be a day one starter on the outside. Yeah, I mean, Dave Lapham and Dan Hoare talked about it on their podcast as well, right? When they're talking about if they go Sewell in the first round, who are you looking at in the second round? And the guys that come up at receiver are Diami Brown and Terrace Marshall and the real wishful thinkers throw Rashad Bateman in there 
even though I can't imagine that he falls unless teams really look at his 2020 tape when he had COVID and think, oh, he's gotten worse as a player. I, I think he's almost certainly gone in the first round. Those two guys, Terrace Marshall, I saw has some, some major medical questions. Wouldn't be surprised if he is available to the Bengals in the second round. Wouldn't be surprised if he's available a little bit beyond that as well, despite his great athleticism, despite his pretty good production, because he, he apparently has some medicals that are concerning for some teams. Uh, one fantasy prognosticator had him as the third highest injury risk at wide receiver in this class. So when you talk about receivers, there's potentially some some mid to late second round guys, or you know maybe you still think Terrace Marshall's an early second round guy. But for what the Bengals need, and he talked about this too, they need a second outside receiver. He said they they generally run, the Bengals run with two outside receivers. They run with the slot guy. Obviously, they've got a guy in T. Higgins who they trust. And, and to use Taylor's words, he's the guy that they trust in those third downs when they need a catch, when they need a play. They've got Tyler Boyd, similar, right? Out of the slot, similar mold, reliability, possession kind of guy, but he does it from the slot. And what he said the other thing they need that they don't have on the team is a guy that's going to take a top off a of defense. And I think that's what we've heard from this team consistently. There's been a cadence. They're beating the drum for speed, for vertical threat, for that other outside guy. So you tell me they can come out of the draft with Jamar Chase to be the take the top off guy. And then they've got T Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd. That fits exactly what Zach Taylor's talking about when he's talking about the kinds of skills they're looking for at their primary three wide receiver positions. And then the other thing that he talked about, shocker, offensive line play. And I think it was Paul Daner Jr. asked him what the hardest position was to evaluate. And essentially, he he went back and forth for a second, and then he said, probably the most difficult to predict is the bigger guys, just because they can face a real difference in competition on either side of the ball. It's probably the most difficult to come into the NFL. And he obviously was referring to the offensive line, defensive line, and he included tight ends in there. He said somewhere up front, I think, would have the biggest challenge. And that that's tough. And I, I agree with him. I mean, you talk about not just Penny Sewell in the Pac-12, and people are going to bring that up. But let's go to the, the second round, Dylan Raddins out of North Dakota State. How do you really evaluate him? The good news is he was at the Senior Bowl, and you got to see him go up against competition there. At the same time, it's North Dakota State, and that's that's really tough when you're comparing him to Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame or Jackson Carmen out of Clemson. And I'm just throwing out names, not necessarily where they'll go, but the, the competition part of it is such a, a big factor with some of these guys. I think more than any other position on the football field, we've seen studies that have concluded it in the last couple of years, offensive line play, defensive line play more than anywhere else is determined by the quality of competition that those guys face, that those units face. When the Cincinnati Bengals in 2019 finished their year going against a series of teams that did not boast great pass rushes, the fans, the coaches, maybe everybody got a little bit tricked into thinking, oh, this offensive line is getting better as the year goes on. The disaster we saw early in the year by the end of the year wasn't quite so bad. There might have been some truth to that. And as with most things, the reality was probably somewhere in between the idea that it was a total mirage and that it was tangible improvement. 
But the offensive line wasn't better, and the Bengals went into the offseason sending the message that they were happy with the offensive line. They later reaped what they sowed, and now we're in this position where we're expecting multiple draft picks on the offensive line. On the other hand, you also see when really good defensive players go up against their really good offensive players on the, in the trenches, that's when they tend to have their issues, right? So it, it does go both ways a little bit, and I totally see where Zach's coming from there, especially with the guys like, like your, what's the guy's name? Malcolm Kuntz from Buffalo yesterday. Like there's a big question, right, about mm-hmm. his quality of competition. There's a big question about Dylan Radden's quality of competition, Quinn, Quinn Miners' quality of competition. So with all of these guys from smaller schools, that's why it's really important for some of them to show up at the Senior Bowl. That answered a lot of questions, I think, for people on Miners, on uh, Radden's. And so I, I totally see where Taylor's coming from when he says those are the hardest positions to to project at the same time, James, what's interesting to me about this is our old friend, Catherine Terrell now works for the athletic, uh, used to cover the Bengals, of course, for ESPN did a big piece on the athletic about the safest position to draft and concluded that offensive line was the safest position to draft, which there's no individual player. That's like, Oh, that's a safe prospect. But apparently historically, according to Terrell's research, Offensive line is a very safe draft pick, which kind of goes at odds with what Taylor's saying. But I think what Taylor's talking about is the microcosm of the individual evaluation versus the general value that teams get out of offensive line draft picks. That's fair. And I think that's what Taylor's saying. Oddly enough, that the Bengals have been burned drafting both in recent years up until T. Higgins, right? I mean, we could go Abwehi and Fisher. We could go Ross. We could go that route, too. Um, and not just Ross. I mean, Josh Malone. I mean, there's multiple where you thought that they were going to have success at that spot, and it, it certainly didn't happen. So, look, bottom line is they got to get it right. And the good news is I think the fifth pick is sort of easy to get right. It's what they do at 38, what they do at 69, that is going to be a, a, a huge make-or-break type scenario uh, for the Bengals. And those picks obviously impact – They're thinking at five as well. We'll discuss what some of the national experts are saying about the fifth pick coming up next. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They've been serving James and I, well, as long as you've heard about them on this podcast, you can go to RockAuto.com right now to shop for auto and car body parts from hundreds of manufacturers for any number of makes and models that maybe the chain store that you would usually go to and wait at the counter while they look up to see if they've got your part in stock won't have in stock because there's just too many car parts for these stores to keep in stock at this point. Rockauto.com will have you covered from the comfort of your own home with their unique and easy to navigate catalog. They'll have all the parts available for your vehicle and you can then choose the brand specification price point that best fits you go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com all right james let's uh, strike some fear into team chase shall we there are rumors abound on Monday, actually late Sunday from Peter King is where this started. Then Albert Breer picked it up as well. 
that the Atlanta Falcons, with their precarious salary cap situation that we've talked about a little bit, they still need space to, to fit their rookies under the cap are, are considering or would consider trading Julio Jones for effectively for cap relief at this point. And if they trade Julio, that I think might open the door to Jamar Chase. Now, I, I still think even if they traded Julio, with their recent investment in Calvin Ridley, with still having Russell Gage on the team, they could still go Kyle Pitts, and he could still be a difference maker for that offense. They could still go quarterback of the future because it's going to be one of Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I assume. I, I don't think that they're on the Mac Jones bandwagon. So even if they do end up trading Julio, and this would be a, a future trade because they can't actually afford to make the move until after June 1st, again, because of the salary cap implications, I still think that that doesn't mean they're necessarily taking chase. It just opens that door a little bit to that possibility. But here's the thing is if the Bengals can't pick Jamar Chase, they're just going to pick Penny Sewell. They'll move on and they'll be fine with that. It's exactly what they'll do. They're not going to hesitate. It's down to these two. I don't think that there would be a, well, should we take Pitts? I mean, they love Pitts, I think, right, as, as a prospect. But it's just it's down to Sewell. It's down to Chase. And you're right that their their decision would be made for them. It's uh, it, it does seem unlikely to me and feel unlikely. And it, it to me, if you're the Falcons and you plan on pits anyway, and that's where a lot of insiders and we're going to get to these other insiders, you plan on pits anyway, and you're not going to go quarterback. Well, you could still take pits and then entertain offers for Julio. Right. It's not like it's one's getting in the way of the other or vice versa. So that would kind of be where I would look at it, where they could still go pits or they take the young quarterback and they get a bunch of draft picks for, uh, you know, or a couple of draft picks, at least for Julio, so they can address their defense in the future. So that, that's that's where I'm at. But, yeah, it does at least crack the the window, so to speak, on the Jamar Chase to Atlanta scenario. And I'm not going to blame them. I, I've praised Jamar Chase for for months. And so if they decide, hey, we want to replace Julio with baby Julio, then I, I would understand it. That would be the uh, the same thing the Bengals are doing, effectively. It would just be the Falcons doing it instead. I still don't really know that I think that that's going to happen. I, I also don't know what kind of return the Falcons could even get for Julio with the contract implications and you know his advanced age. He's still a good player. For sure. Like he was still productive for them last year, but I do wonder what kind of return they could even get if they would feel like it was worthwhile. Let's talk about some of those other national experts, though, James. Todd McShay says that he's hearing the Bengals are leaning toward Penny Sewell. I, I think that he might be the only one hearing that the Bengals are leaning toward Penny Sewell. I woke up out here on the West Coast today to a bunch of tweets saying, oh, Lapham said Sewell. I, I don't think Lapham said Sewell, guys. I think he said that's his preference. I don't think he knows. But Todd McShay was the other one that I heard. Oh, Todd McShay says the Bengals are leaning Sewell. I wonder from whom he is getting that information because it surely flies in the face of all of the local guys that we've heard from, including Paul Daner. And we should talk about his mock draft as well, James, because he put out his final mock draft on Monday. Nobody else seems to be hearing this. And I think it might be that close. Like, I do. I think that there are, are probably people at Paul Brown Stadium that say, what the hell are you doing? Let's take Sewell. I don't care about Chase. It's 
uh, an offensive line issue that we've had for five years and we've gotten it wrong with Cedric Abwehi and, and Jake Fisher and Billy Price. And this is a chance to type to, to kind of write the ship at the same time. And again, I'm not trying to regurgitate, but I, I think people there in the stadium, there are probably another half of them or more than half that feel the other way with chase and they see the path to doing both. And so that's why it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing you know, Lapham go back and forth a bit. Why you see a McShay say, yeah, I'm hearing it's Sewell. And yet Paul Daner Jr., uh, others locally feel like it's Chase. Malik Wright, I talked with him again. He is very firm in uh, in his percentages. And I think he's comfortable with me saying it's higher than the 95% or 96% rather that he tweeted out last week and then last month when he was on the show, I believe it was last month. It might have been earlier this month. I don't know. The days have been going together when he said 95% on our podcast. He's higher now and even more confident that it's going to be Jamar Chase. So I still lean Chase. But again, would it would it shock you? Let me ask you. It wouldn't shock me. Would it shock you if they took Penny Sewell at this stage? Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all. I would be a little surprised because I really do believe in Malik. So, so that's what would surprise me more than anything mm-hmm. is – Malik's built this reputation that's ironclad in my eyes. And, you know, Paul Daner Jr. has been really in touch with the team. My personal feeling since before everyone else started shifting to Chase was like, yeah, I think I think actually they're going to draft Chase. So I've been feeling this way for a while as well. And then I've, I've got these external opinions, external data points, external people kind of validating that you're hearing it from the national sources as well. For the most part, right? Peter King wrote, I think that, you know, he could see it going any of the three ways, but most of the final projection kind of mocks out there are saying we're hearing it's chase. And so McShay, you know, maybe he's talking to a different guy in the Bengals front office. I've said this for a while too, James. I think there's true division in Paul Brown stadium Uh, to, to your point, what you just said. I, I agree with that. I think that there are people in Paul Brown stadium who think, this is a no-brainer. Let's pick the offensive lineman from Oregon who is young and dominant. And so that could be what's happening here. Uh, but I do find it interesting. You know, lying season in full swing. The storm at full blast. Kind of goes to, to what Field Yates said when he was talking to Lindsey Patterson. Did a video for the Inquirer on Monday, I believe. And, you know, he's saying that the storm truly is before the draft for everybody that works in the industry. And then the draft comes and things kind of calm down because – it's there, there's facts. There's there's things you can talk about and report on at this point. He also made a really compelling point for Jamar Chase that I think that you know Team Chase has talked about, and and it's that you know maybe Chase is a rare wide receiver prospect than Sewell is as a tackle prospect. Maybe in a vacuum, you know Penny Sewell is an A prospect, and maybe Jamar Chase is an A plus prospect at wide receiver, and and you know maybe overall even Penny Sewell is a better prospect. But there hasn't been a wide receiver like Chase for a while. And, and so that plus the depth is something that he thinks the Bengals are looking at. And, and I think I agree. We've heard them say offensive line is deep, right? And so kind of fits everything that we have heard. And, and Field Yates is one national voice that kind of reaffirms everything we've talked about, everything the local guys have talked about for a few weeks now. And I think if the Bengals take Chase – it's because he's ahead of Sewell on their final board or vice versa. If they take Sewell, it's because he's ahead of Chase on their board and they say, okay, well, let's take the best player available and not go with 
the fifth pick and go this direction because of what we could do at 38 or 69. And, and so that's part of it. So to me, the the main argument for Chase, it has to start there, that it, it is this special type of wide receiver that you're not going to be able to to necessarily find next year or the year after. And while Sewell's a great, great prospect, Chase might be a little bit more rare or harder to find. Um, or you, you just think he's going to have such an impact with Joe Burrow because of what they did. You know, there's so many arguments from that perspective. And then you can get into the depth of the offensive line and how it kind of uh, trickles down. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to look at it uh, from Field Yates' perspective. And here's the problem, Jake. If the Bengals do take Jamar Chase with the fifth pick, I think most national media, I think there's going to be a lot of people that crush him. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm not talking about just one network. I think a lot will. And it might not be the right um, call on their end or the, the right opinion on their end necessarily, depending on what else happens in the draft. But I, I think the Bengals do need to be prepared because I think that will happen if they do that on Thursday night. That's why we said over and over the second and third rounds matter so much in this draft. Real quick before we end the show, James, want to shout out Paul Daner's mock draft over on theathletic.com. He has Jamar Chase going in the first round of the Cincinnati Bengals. The other considerations for that pick, of course, Kyle Pitts, Penny Sewell. Second round, the same guy you had in this spot yesterday, Alex Leatherwood, with other considerations for Eichenberg, Basham, Levi Onzerike. So that's the only place that I really see a whole lot of consideration going to a three-tech. Comes back in the third round after getting wide receiver offensive lineman. And just like we did, the triumvirate is complete with Peyton Turner, the edge rusher from Houston, a guy that we've talked about a lot. Other consideration here for Trey Smith, the guard from Tennessee, Aleem McNeil from NC State, and Michael Carter from North Carolina, the running back. I think that that's a little early for a running back, but we do know the Bengals like to spend day two picks on running back. They've done it recently quite a bit. Coming back. On day three, it's Deontay Brown from Alabama in the fourth round with consideration to Marlon Tui-Pelotu, Stone Forsyth, and Khalil Herbert. So some names that we talked about yesterday as well. And then in the fifth round, he has the Bengals actually picking that running back, a guy that would be the complimentary piece, Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. Consideration here. Again, some names we talked about yesterday in Janarius Robinson, the edge rusher from Florida State, Jamar Jefferson, the running back from Oregon State, also has some consideration here to Shai Smith from South Carolina. Finishes things up with Trey McKitty, the tight end from Georgia in the sixth round. Justin Hilliard, the local kid who went to play linebacker at Ohio State. And Blake Hobale, I think, the kicker from Ohio State. So some similarities there, James. He went for the running back at one point. And, you know, the similarities are kicker. There's a linebacker and tight end in, in the sixth round for him. That's a difference. But besides that, trench focus plus Jamar Chase in the first round. Nailed it. Give me that. Give me that all day. And, and we'll see if the Bengals feel that way. And Jake, depending on when everyone's listening to this, we are we are less than three days from getting our answer. And who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Here's what I do know. The countdown is on. And I can't wait, Jake. We're almost there. For everybody still listening to the show, I assume that means you're a diehard. We are going to be live streaming a little bit on Thursday. Joe Goodberry and myself will be on Twitch. James will be with us for some amount of time. Charlie G from the Enquirer will stop by as well. We'll see who else 
I talk into making a little appearance. We'll also have a show going on on the Locked On NFL YouTube page, which we linked from the Locked On Bengals Twitter account today. There's a video of James' breakdown of our selection in the Ultimate Mock Draft. Go check that out. And I believe that I will be making an appearance on that show after the Bengals pick at five as well. So we will be all over the place. We'll also get you a show on Thursday night after the first round. The countdown, as James said, is on. Until tomorrow, Bengals fans, when we're joined by Joe Goodberry for the show, who day and have a good one.